Hello, friends. Uh, my message is being posted a little bit late, owing to the fact that I had to be in uh, Texas this weekend for a Christ for India board meeting, a banquet, and to celebrate my birthday. But I'm going to continue in the series on the book of James. This is from James chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. I'm going to call this Stop the Blame Game. It was playwright Oscar Wilde who once said, I can resist everything except temptation. You know, we kind of smile when we read those words or hear those words because we, they speak an important truth about the human condition. Temptation pays a visit to each of us every day, and most of us struggle to say no. I mean, why, what do I do when those thoughts come to me? The young man asked. He was a young, late 30s, uh, rising young executive, all, all outward appearances, a very image of success. He was a, a good job well-respected by his peers and seemed to have no trouble mixing his faith and work. So what could be wrong? Well, as a single man in a high-powered business environment, he told me he faced numerous temptations, many coming from the sexual arena. He said, I've asked God over and over to give me a Christian wife, but he hasn't answered that prayer yet. And sometimes my mind, he told me, was filled with thoughts that embarrassed me, and sometimes I give in to the temptation I feel. Well, I got to tell you, I, I was not surprised. If you change the name or a few details, it was a story I've heard many times before. In fact, it is a story as old as the Bible itself, because temptation is not new in any sense. Temptation is the same for us as it was for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Satan tempts us today in the same way he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. From the very beginning, a battle has raged for the souls of men and women, a battle that touches most of us sooner or later. See, most of the battles we face will not be enormous, life-changing decisions, or at least they won't seem that way at the time. Either we get angry or we don't, or you stay up late to finish your homework, or you make up a creative excuse, or when the department store you pay, you visit the department store, you pay cash, or you break your promise not to use your credit card. You speak the unkind story you heard, or you decide to keep it to yourself. You pass by the magazine rack in the airport terminal, or you stop and begin to browse, and you get up early to exercise, or you roll over for another 30 or 40 minutes of sleep. Either way, no one else will know whether you exercise or not. No one will know, at least till the end of the month, if you used your credit card or not. No one will know, unless you're audited, whether or not you lied on your tax return. I mean, God has ordained that our spiritual progress should not be measured by um, huge battles, won or lost, but by a thousand daily skirmishes no one else knows about. So how can we fight to win the battle against temptations we face every day? Well, James 1, 13 to 15, gives us God's answer to that important question. And from this passage, we're going to discover where temptation begins, how it grows, and where it ends. Well, let's start with where it begins. Verse 13 says, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am, be tempted by, I am being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. You know, it's always easy to blame God for our problems. You know, Lord, you put me in this situation. You gave me these desires. And you knew I was broke, or you know I was weak in that area. But friends, God is not the source of your problems. Never. I mean, don't go there. He doesn't tempt people. He never puts you in a situation where you have to sin. Never, ever. See, God will lead you to a place where you are forced to do evil. 
you may find yourself in the tough spot and, and under pressure, and you may actually choose to do evil. And in your mind, you feel forced by the circumstances to do wrong. But even in those cases, the choice is yours, not God's. Said another way, God does not set us up to fail. To do that would contradict both his holiness and his love. It helps to remember that the same Greek word in James 1 can be translated trial or temptation. The fact That fact teaches us that any event in your life can be both a trial and a temptation. Uh, for instance, a sickness comes to a child of God, a deathly illness. I mean, could that sickness be a testing from God? Yeah, it could. It almost always is a test from God to purify motive, motives to cause a child of God to look away from the things of this earth to the things of heaven and to turn his back to God. I mean, many good things are accomplished through sickness in the life of the believer. Now, does Satan work through that? Sure he does. Through that very same sickness, Satan will be working to tempt you to despair, to anger, to bitterness, or to depression. God has a good purpose in mind, but Satan is working through that which God intends for your good in order to pull you down. Or you could lose your job. You could say, could that be from God? Yeah, it could. If you lose your job, could God have a better purpose in mind for you? Yes, and he often does. He may have a better job for you. He he certainly wants to build some spiritual character in your life. And yet during that time of having lost your job, which is a trial from God, Satan will tempt you to anger, despair, and discouragement. It also works the other way. I mean, one day you may get a promotion and a nice raise, in your salary. Now, can that promotion uh, be a trial from God? Well, absolutely. Prosperity is a test from God to see how you will handle his blessings. And it ought to make you more generous, move loving, and more sensitive to the needs of others because God has given you so much more. But you know, it's also a temptation at the same time that it might actually make you more greedy or selfish. Now, here's a man on a trip. He checks into a motel, he's by himself, he's lonely, he flops down to bed, turns on the TV, and sees a channel called Adult Entertainment. The man knows that he has no business watching that channel, but maybe when he's alone and spiritually disoriented, he feels a strong urge to watch one of those movies. Now, does God know that channel is there? Yeah, he does. Does God allow his servant to go into that room? Yes, he did. Is it a test? Absolutely. If the man passes the test, he'll be stronger spiritually because he said no. Is it a temptation? Yes, it is. A temptation to give in to lust. See, a trial becomes a temptation when we respond wrongly. What God means for good, Satan means for evil. Satan twists that which God gives us and whispers in our ear, Go ahead, it's okay. No one will ever know. Well, next let's talk about how it grows. And here... Verses 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after sin has, de- has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now notice four things from this verse. First, the certainty of temptation. Each person is tempted. No one escapes temptation in this life. And those fam- these familiar hymn lines probably apply to all of us. You know, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Well, second, there's the allure of temptation. It's that he's drawn away and enticed. And James here uses the image of a fisherman baiting a hook 
And just as the fruit looked good to Eve, sin always looks good to us. Let's be honest, sin brings a certain degree of satisfaction. It must or no one would ever sin. I mean, there is such a thing as the pleasures of sin for a season. In the short run, you can always justify losing our temper, telling a lie, cheating a friend, taking a shortcut, you know, indulging on our fantasies. And third, the individuality of temptation. It says his own evil desires. It's quite true that what tempts you might not bother me at all. And what troubles me might not be alluring to you. Now, I've often thought, while looking out over the fresh-faced congregation on a Sunday morning, that we all clean up pretty good. We look better on the outside than we are on the inside. And if we knew the sacred, uh, the naked truth about each other, we would run screaming from the sanctuary never to return. And fourth, the result of temptation, it says, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And since James uses the metaphor of birth, let me apply the truth this way. If we do not use some spiritual birth control in our thought life, our desires will impregnate our actions and the result will be a whole bunch of little sin babies running around. Now, that's a bizarre image, but it's not stranger than the image James uses. We must not trifle with temptation. We can't mess with it, play with it, or dabble in it. Because temptation leads to desire that leads inevitably to sin in our lives. Well, let's move on to where it ends. Verse 15 says, When sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Now, twice in this passage, James uses the image of birth. First, evil desires give birth to sin, and then sin gives birth to death. Now, we prefer not to hear this. I mean, what could be happier than the birth of a baby? We decorate and plan and pray and save our money. We take pictures even of the sonograms and post it on Facebook. We have baby showers and gender reveal parties, and we send out elaborate birth announcements. It's hard to find anything more wonderful than the birth of a baby, but you know, not all babies are beautiful. I mean, James uses the happy image of childbirth to remind us of an awful reality. Our evil desires grow over time. They take on a life of their own, and one day those desires give birth to sin. And sin, once conceived in the heart, leads to death. Death to us, death in our relationships. It all starts back in the Garden of Eden. The serpent came to Eve and tricked her into eating the fruit. She offered some to Adam, and he ate, knowing full well the consequences of his action. And suddenly the world became a very unfriendly place. Fear entered the human heart for the first time. Adam and Eve suddenly recognized uh, that they were naked. Uh, And they were ashamed. And when they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid. I mean, sin changed everything. Where once they talked and walked with God freely, now they hid, lest their sin be discovered. At length, God called out to Adam, where are you? And Adam answered, I hid because I was naked. And God said, Who told you you were naked? Then the dreaded question, Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Well, Adam is cornered, caught red-handed, stripped of all of his excuses. God knows, so what's he going to do? Well, he does what any self-respecting man does. He passes the buck. His answer is a classic form of evasion. In Genesis 3.12, he says, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. Hope you notice that Adam passed the buck twice. First it was the woman, then it was the woman you put here. I mean, Lord, it was her fault. You gave me the fruit, 
she gave me the fruit, so I ate it. What was I supposed to do? She's my wife. You know how it is, Lord, when your wife wants you to do something. I mean, what was I supposed to do? Say the note to her and watch her pout all night? And, and anyway, you put her in the garden. You did. She wasn't my idea. Now, I'm not complaining because she's beautiful and cute and all that, but I didn't have this problem when it was just me and the animals. Well, in the thousands of years since then, nothing has really changed. I mean, human nature is still the same. Passing the buck is in our spiritual bloodstream. We do it now because Adam did it back then. He established the pattern. Disobedience leads to guilt, which leads to shame, which leads to fear, which leads to hiding, which leads to blaming others. And that takes us back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. It says, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Well, that's not exactly restrictive, is it? Now, let's suppose that there were 25,000 trees in the garden. And if so, the command really means, it really means this. Adam, I've given you 24,999 trees to enjoy. You can eat a pear, an apple, an orange, a grapefruit. If you want fruit cocktail, you can have it. If you want peach cobbler, it's all yours. If you want fresh coconut milk, climb one, climb a tree, pick one, drink till you're full. If you like one of those fancy fruit pizzas, and quite honestly, I don't, but go ahead. Indulge yourself. Eat from any trees or from all of the trees. Eat as much as you like, whenever you like. It's all yours. But remember this. There is one tree you must avoid. If you eat the fruit of that tree, you will certainly die. Now, I can imagine Adam listened carefully and maybe even nodded when he heard the warning. He probably even agreed with the Lord. It would be pretty foolish to eat from one of the forbidden trees when there were so many others available to him. But you know the rest of the story. The serpent entered, tempted Eve. She was deceived. She ate. She gave the fruit to Adam. He ate. And rebellion became a way of life for the human race. It's almost as if he couldn't wait. I mean, after all, the very first time he's tempted, he gives in without even putting up a fight. And ever since then, we've all been born with a hankering for that same forbidden fruit. See, we eat it and eat it, and we can't seem to get enough of it. And that's why the world is so messed up. We demanded our freedom, and when we got it, it killed us. That's what James means when he says that sin gives birth to death. Sin kills us. Sin kills every human relationship. Sin kills our relationship with God. When sin is full grown, it gives birth to the monster of death. And friends, there's nothing beautiful about that. See, what starts as a passing fancy becomes a settled desire, which becomes an overpowering impulse that leads us to foolish action that results in personal tragedy, shattered lives, hurting children, ruined careers, broken marriages. And worst of all, we end up separated from the God who made us. We are truly lost, and we have only ourselves to blame. Now, here's one practical application for this message. Don't fondle sin. Now, this obviously applies to sexual temptation, but it goes far beyond it. I mean, don't give your mind over to the thoughts of bitterness, envy, anger, lust, greed, and violence. Now, let's suppose we have a a big jar of muddy water that you want to change into a jar of clear water. Now, what's the quickest way to make the transformation? Well, you take a garden hose, hook it up to an artesian spring filled with clear, cool, pure water. And then you place the hose in the jar and turn on the water. And as the clean water rushes in, it flushes out the muddy water. And if you let that hose stay in the jar long enough, the muddy water will eventually be completely displaced by clean water. 
Now, I hope you know that that's a parable of the Christian life. All of us are like that big jar of muddy water when we come to Jesus. Some are muddier and slimier than others, but all of us are unclean when we find the Lord. It is the work of a lifetime to replace the muddy water of our sinful inclinations with the pure water of God's holy character. This is the answer to our entrenched bitterness, our lust, our greed, our hate, our envy, our impatience, our dishonesty, and our unfaithfulness. Hebrews 12.2 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. I mean, take a, a long look at the Son of God who struggled in the wilderness and won the victory over the devil. Now, if he won the battle, so can we because his divine power is available to us today. See, when we are tempted or when we are joined with Jesus, he goes with us wherever we go. Every temptation that comes our way, he's already felt, he's already overcome. I mean, just imagine that. Every problem, every hard choice, every sudden rush of temptation, Jesus is always there by our side, walking with us step by step. If we turn to ask him for help, he'll deliver us in the moment of temptation and show us the way of escape. See, temptation is the common experience of the people of God. We will never escape it as long as we live in a fallen world. But God has given us everything we need to win the battle every time. So stand and fight, child of God. The Lord is on your side. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.